we're starting a, a brand new series today. We're kicking this off, uh, this, this little short, little mini series, and it's not short by choice, it's short because of our schedule and what's left of this semester. I don't know if you realize, we've got three Sunday services left, and so this is a short little three-part series. Today we're kicking off part one, and then we've got two uh, parts after uh, this morning. Uh, we're actually going to be extending this series to a four-part series. If you're able to make it, we'd love for you to uh, uh, have, have you join us at our sponsor church, the State College Alliance Church, um, the Sunday before finals week begins. So this, uh, the Sunday after classes end, before finals week begins, we're going to be transporting our church over to our sponsor church. And um, we're going to be worshiping there, and so we're extending this series to a four-part there. Uh, but listen, not only are we transporting our church to our sponsor church, we're taking over the mothership. Uh, our worship team is going to be leading the music that morning. Pastor Aaron and I are going to tag team preach, and we're going to have some fun with that. And so we'd love for you to come out and join us for that. If you don't have a ride, don't worry. If you don't have a car, don't worry. We will coordinate rides for you. Uh, we'll probably meet behind Osman at 10 o'clock that Sunday morning, and uh, we'll get you over there and get you back in one piece, hopefully. That's the plan. And so we'd love for you to join us. But we are starting this brand new series today, and we're calling the series Real Faith. Real Faith. Earlier this semester, we went through a series called Big Faith, where we spent some time looking at some of the lives of our Old Testament heroes of the faith. And these are people who ex exhibited extraordinary out of the ordinary, big, audacious faith. And so we started this semester off by talking about faith at a macro level. And, and as we near the end of this semester, I want to bring our perspective on faith down from a macro level to a micro level. I want to look at faith on the ground level and see how this whole big faith deal actually plays out in real life. Hence the title of our series, Real Faith. By the way, I love that we're kicking off this series immediately after Easter because the resurrection, listen, is actually what makes our faith real in the first place. Without the resurrection, our faith would be null and void. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ was not raised from the dead, our preaching would be in vain, our faith would be in vain. In other words, our faith would be utterly meaningless our faith would be fake. It would be a fraud. It would be an entirely a phony thing. But our faith is anything but fake because of the resurrection. Amen? Our faith is anything but a fraud because of the resurrection. And so today I want to explore this real faith. And the way we're going to be doing that is we're going to be going through, um, throughout the course of the series, going through a portion of the Bible called the Psalms, the book of Psalms. By the way, if you want a picture of what real faith looks like, Read through the book of Psalms. The pages in the book of Psalms is tattered with real prayers, real cries, real tears, real laments, real, raw, unfiltered, unadulterated emotions. I mean, spend any time in the book of Psalms, you'll see that the book of Psalms is anything but plastic. It's as real faith as it gets. And so when you have a chance, read through the book of Psalms. But we're not going to go through the entire Psalms in the next three weeks. It's impossible, okay? It's impossible to cram 150 psalms in the span of three weeks, although that is a challenge that I would be up for. I'm just not sure you'd be up for that challenge. Um, but uh, the, the, we're going to look at a portion of the psalms, and that is the psalms of ascent. 
the Psalms of Ascent. And this uh, section of the Psalms is actually found in Psalms 120 to 134. And what these Psalms are, let me give you just a little bit of context so you know what we're walking into. These Psalms were essentially songs that were sung by the Jewish community as they would travel up or ascend, hence Psalms of Ascent, as they would ascend into the city of Jerusalem for their annual three worship festivals. Every year these three worship festivals would come around and the Jewish community would, would travel up. It would make this long pilgrimage up to the city of Jerusalem. And they would collectively sing these songs as they traveled as a reminder that they were pilgrims on a journey towards God, both literally and symbolically, both physically and spiritually. That they were literally journeying together towards the holy city of God, towards Jerusalem, to worship God together as a, as a people of God, but that also they were spiritually on this side of heaven, they were pilgrims on a journey just passing through. How many of you know this is not your permanent place of residence? For those of you who identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, who profess faith in Christ, this is not your permanent home. You are pilgrims passing along on a journey. And so these Psalms of Ascent were sung by the Jewish people, by the Jewish community, as they would ascend and travel in this way. In fact, these Psalms were often referred to as pilgrim songs, songs for the pilgrimage. These were the original road trip mixtapes. I mean, it, it, like when you, the Psalms of Ascent were the OG playlist when you would travel across the country. And so that's what these song, Psalms were. And so I want to look at one particular Psalm today that I think would help you and help us in our walks with the Lord in trying to pursue this real faith. And that's Psalm 121. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 121. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have some folks coming around. Just go ahead and raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible here this morning. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't own a personal copy, consider this our gift to you. You don't need to return it. Uh, go ahead and take it home with you. But if you are following along with us in these Bibles, we're on page 516. 516 is where we are. So Psalm 121, I want you to just hold your position there for a minute and go ahead and find your place. And I want to do something a little bit different today. In the spirit of road trip sing-alongs, I want to read aloud together this song. I'm not going to ask us to sing it because I don't have a tune for you. Although, Gracie, do you want to play something? We could, we could do this spontaneously. We can make this happen. I, I don't, no, 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 don't, don't do it. Don't do it. That, that would be a terrible idea. Um, not because of you. It's just because we just, it would just not be a good situation. Um, but these Psalms of Ascent were originally uh, meant to be sung, but we're going to read it out loud here together. And it's a short little psalm, so I think we can manage. And uh, just for um, cohesion's sake, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. And uh, usually it doesn't matter what version of the Bible you're reading out of, but for the sake of reading together, uh, we're going to put the text up here on the screen, right? Can we get the text on the screen? I know it wasn't working last week. Is it working this week? Yes. Media guys. Let's hear it for the media guys. Let's hear it for the media team. Rock on. Well, we're gonna, um, I'm going to ask you to do this. Uh, why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet? If you have an English Standard Version of the Bible in front of you, you can read along with that, or you can look up here on the screen. And uh, what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to read the Word of God and allow the Word of God to, to penetrate deeply within your spirit, within your soul. Uh, because how many of you know God can speak to you without a preacher? 
God can speak to you through his word. And so I want us to open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive his word here today. And as we do, we'll read it together here this morning. And so let's read together. Psalm 121, starting from the very top, verse 1. Here we go. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Friends, today I want to talk to you about the providence of God. The providence of God. But before, you, before we do, before you take a seat, let me pray for us. Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would speak now through your word. Lord, we didn't gather here together to hear from a man. Because man has nothing of value, uh, nothing of spiritual value to impart to the people of God. Well, Lord, our Father in heaven does. You do. You've got something special that you want to impart to your children here this morning. And so, Father, we come with open hands, open hearts, to receive what you have for us, Holy Spirit of God, and enable us to hear the voice of the Father here this morning. We look to you for these things, and it's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. You guys can have a seat. The providence of God. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down as our working definition for the word providence. If you're wondering what the word providence means, let me just offer you a short little definition here this morning. Providence, as we'll be talking about here today, is the tireless care of our heavenly Father. The tireless care of our heavenly Father. The providential care of God refers to as the tireless care of our Heavenly Father. Folks, if this Psalm of Ascent is telling us anything here this morning, it is that our Heavenly Father tirelessly cares for us. And that should be good news all across the board. That our Father tirelessly, without fail, cares for you and for me. Now, I love how this passage opens up. It opens up with a, a question and answer. Except what we find is that the questioner answers his own question. We just had this, uh, I took a few ACFers to, uh, to speak at a, at a high school, local high school, about campus ministry and the value of, of, of campus ministries and pursuing faith in college life. And, and we got done with our piece, and then I opened up the floor, any questions? And, and this lady stood up, and she had a question. Soon came to find out she was the interim principal. And she poses this question to us. Right, to, to, to me and, and a couple of our students that I brought along. I said, ask this question. And as soon as she, done, she was done answering, asking that question, she turns to the students and she begins to answer the question on our behalf. And, and that's essentially what the psalmist is doing. He's posing a question, but it's a rhetorical question. He's posing this question, assuming there is already an answer. Listen to the question he's putting forth here. In verse 1, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Listen now. From where does my help come? From where does my help come? Now, at this point, one might be inclined to ask the question, why does this guy need help? What kind of help is he looking for? Why, why does this writer need this help that he seems to be seeking? What's the need? What's the need, right? 
And while those may be good questions and appropriate questions to ask, church, I would suggest that we would ultimately be missing the point if we were stuck there. Because the question that the psalm is trying to answer isn't, what is the specific need for help? Rather, it's answering the question, who is my help in my times of need? The question that the psalmist is trying to answer isn't, what is the specific need for help here? Right? The psalmist is asking, who is my help? What, what, like, where does my help come from? The, the question wouldn't be, what is the specific need for help? The question that the psalmist is trying to answer is, who is my help in my times of need? And he goes on and he answers his own question in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice the writer gives no regard, absolutely no regard to what the specific need for help is. It's almost as if he's assuming that God can meet whatever the need is, it doesn't matter. The need is irrelevant. And friends, at the core of real faith, that's what we find. At the core of real faith, we find that it doesn't matter what kind of help I need. Because I know that my heavenly father tirelessly cares for me, he is able to be my help in any need, whatever the need is, whether that's a financial need, whether that's a relational need, whether that's a life directional need, a navigational need, an emotional need, a physical need, a spiritual need. You better believe if my kids come to me with any need, I'm going to do my darn hardest to try to meet those needs. And that is what we're talking about when we talk about the providence of God. It is the tireless care of your heavenly father, no matter what the need is. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And for the rest of the psalm, the psalmist goes on to tell us just exactly how God is our help in our times of need. If you're wondering how our Heavenly Father tirelessly cares for us, how he goes about caring for us, let me just give you a few ways he does that as indicated in Psalm 121. In verses three and four, immediately after this question and answer, what we find is that number one, our Father is our stability. Our Father is our stability. You know, for many of us, when we think of our earthly fathers, we might think of him as our rock right? Our rock. We think of him as our hero, as the figure of strength in the family. You know, when we think about our dads, we think rock solid, right? The, the one who provides stability for the family. And, and church, I'm not going to act a fool here. I know that might not be the case for you. That might not be the story that you drum up in your mind when you think about your earthly fathers. But I got news for you. Your heavenly father, he's all of that and so much more. He is all of that and so much more. The psalmist writes in verses three and four, listen to what he says. He says, he will not let your foot be moved. We're gonna come back to that in just a moment. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, the psalmist is making a real interesting statement here. He seems to keep emphasizing this fact that our heavenly father will neither slumber, right, nor sleep. I mean, what is he getting at? Why is he saying that? Is he somehow suggesting that God doesn't need his eight hours of sleep like the rest of us do? What, I mean, what is he suggesting here? No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. You see, what he's doing here is he's comparing the one true God to the other pagan deities of the day. And that's why he says at the start of verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel as compared to these other gods. He who keeps you as compared to these other gods 
will neither slumber nor sleep. Let's take Baal, for example, the Old Testament pagan god of Baal. Baal, if you don't know this, Baal was known to often take these long naps, these long, drunken naps. And one of the jobs of the priests of Baal was to wake him up when someone needed his attention. In fact, we see this account in 1 Kings 18 where we see Elijah, the great prophet of God, right? He's taunting the priests of Baal and he says things like, you don't suppose your God overslept, do you? You think your God hit the snooze button? You don't, does your God need to be woken up from his slumber? Because my God showed up. My God did his thing. My God performed his signs and wonders. Where is your God? You see, what the psalmist here is trying to get at is that our heavenly father, listen now, he will not let your foot slip or be moved because your heavenly father and my heavenly father is always alert. He is always attentive and he is always awake. Your God in heaven doesn't sleep or slumber. And because, now translation, let me just put it this way. Your heavenly father is no deadbeat dad. Your heavenly father, I don't know what your earthly father was like. I don't know if your dad was around or I don't know what, maybe you had a great relationship with your father. I I don't know, but I'm just here to tell you this. From scripture, what we gather is that our heavenly father, he's no deadbeat dad. He is not lazy. He is not just sitting around on his couch waiting for time to pass by. No, no, no. Your heavenly father is a father who is deeply in tune to your life and to your every single life need. And because your father is in tune to your life, to every single need that you have and that you face in your life, he is able to provide the stability that is needed in all of life's unstable circumstances. And how many of you know life can feel a little unstable, amen? Life can feel a little shaky. Life can feel a little uncertain a lot of the times, especially during your time here. You're trying to figure out what the heck am I supposed to do with my life? You feel unstable. There's a certain feeling of instability that comes over you. But listen now, no matter what kinds of curveballs life throws your way, you can know that you can stand firm because God is your stability. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He is finally in tune to your every single need. And because of that, he is able to be the stability that your life so desperately needs. That's good news, people. That's good news. In those moments of instability that you feel like the ground underneath you begins to shake and you're about to crumble, know that God won't let your foot be moved. Know that God won't let your foot slip because God is our stability. But listen, the good news continues. The good news carries on. We find that not only is our Father our stability, we find that our Father, number two, is also our shade. He is our shade. Now, I did not say that God throws shade at us. I I said God is our shade. God is our shade. Look at verses 5 and 6. The psalmist writes, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade. Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. What we find is that God is our shade, he is our protection, he is our shield by day and by night. You know, I'm discovering in my parenting that much of my parenting consists of shading my kids 
and sheltering and protecting. And, and I'm not talking about like over sheltering, you know, like my kids aren't walking around in public with helmets and, you know, like they're not, not none of that, like pads and stuff. Like my, I mean, we're not trying to overprotect our kids, right? But the, I'm discovering that much of my parenting consists of shading my kids from things that would bring them harm. You know, when, when my kids were babies, I had to literally protect them uh, so that they didn't die. I mean, literally protect them from everything because they were so helpless. They didn't have the capacity to help themselves. And so when they were little itty-bitty infants and babies, I have to, you know, for instance, I had to protect them from falling off the changing table. So I had one hand on them and one hand in the diaper bag and pulling out wipes and all this stuff. And, you know, I'm a modern-day dad, so I'm changing diapers, okay? So that, that's how it rolls. And so I'm trying to prevent my kid from falling off and, and breaking his head off the changing table. I had to protect them from choking on certain things. Oh, don't put that in your mouth. Don't put that in the pennies aren't good for you. You know, that, that big old grape can get lodged in your throat. Don't eat, let me chop up that grape for you. And, and, I, and sometimes I would even need to protect them from themselves. Because sometimes in the middle of the night, they would scratch at their face so hard, you would wake up in the morning and they're in this pool of a bloody mess and you're like, what happened? You know, and, and so at nighttime, we will put these little gloves on their hands so they don't hurt themselves in the middle of the night. I had to protect them. As they grew older and a little more mobile, I had to protect them from falling down the steps, right? They're moving around now in the house. And, you know, I had to put baby gates up and install, you know, like I'm no handyman, but I YouTube everything, put up, you know, these baby gates and so that they don't plummet to their death. And I had to protect them from slamming their little fingers in between cabinet doors. So I had to put those little, you know, cabinet, you know, baby proof locks on and, you know, and on all those things on the toilet so they don't fall into the toilet, right? Like, and, and I had to, you know, I had to protect them from the, from the outlets, right? Like they, they, they don't want to stick stuff in the outlets because who doesn't, right? You see an open hole, you're like, yeah, this, this pen seems like it would fit in there. And so I had to put those little electric outlet covers on the outlets. I had to protect them from all of these things. By the way, I find it so interesting to see the parenting trends change as it pertains to the protection of kids in the generations. It, it, it just, it, it does. You know, like for me growing up in my home, I didn't have no baby gates, right? Like that, that wasn't a thing. In fact, when my parents would come visit our home and our babies were little, my parents would like go to the top of the stairwell and be like, son, what is this? What, what's this for? I said, it's a baby gate. So my kids don't tumble down and die. Like that, that's what that's for. And you could see a moment of enlightenment come over their face. They're like, huh, that would have been good to have when you were a baby. And so I'm like, dad, mom, dad, what did, what did you guys do? What, what, what happened? They're like, well, you know, you just take a tumble every now and then, you know? I'm like, that's, that's why I'm Asian. I'm not good at math. You know, I, I, I just took one too many tumbles, right? Like that's, that makes total sense. Listen, whether, whether your parents did a good job of baby-proofing your home or not, the fact of the matter is this, a good parent goes out of their way to protect their kids from things that would bring them harm. And I'm not just talking about physically. As my kids are getting older, I'm finding that I have to protect them from things that would bring them emotional harm, relational harm, spiritual harm. I'm trying to raise up two young men of God who love Jesus with all their heart and love people with all their might. And, and in so doing, the world is going to throw a whole lot of lies their way and a whole lot of junk their way. My job as a parent is to shade them from anything that would harm them in all of those regards, spiritually, relationally, emotionally. And that's what this passage is telling us. That we have a God who protects us and shades us from things in our lives that would bring us harm. 
Can I make a quick side point here? That actually may end up being a main point for some of us. Friends, perhaps the things that you and I need protection from are not necessarily things on the outside. Perhaps the things that you and I need protection from the most are things on the inside. Because listen, as far as I know, none of you are going into outlets trying to stick stuff into it. We don't need to be baby-proofing the world for you. you. Perhaps the things that you need protection from aren't things that are external factors, things on the outside. Perhaps the things that you need protection from the most are the things that wage war inside here. Things like your self-talk. Things like your self-hatred. Things like your view of yourselves, your skewed perspective of yourselves. Perhaps the things that you need protection from from the most are your insecurities and your doubts, your fears, your anxieties. Maybe you don't need protection from the outside. Maybe what you need is God to be your shade for the things that wage war on the inside. And church, I believe today what God is saying to us is that God will be your shade and as God as your shade I believe listen now I believe that the father's heart of God is saying to every single one of us your self-talk shall not rule your thought life with God as your shade your view of yourself shall not be determined by the lies of the enemy and it shall not be determined by what people say of you and to you and about you with God as your shade, your insecurities shall not define you. With God as your shade, your doubts and your fears shall not overtake you. With God as your shade, your anxieties shall not prevail over you. With God as your shade, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Our Father is our shade. Can someone say amen this morning? Your Father, my Father, He is our perfect shade who protects us and guards us from all harm whether external or internal now let me just clarify something here real quick before we move on god does not shade us from difficulty he shades us from harm can i just make that clear god doesn't shade us from difficulty he shades us from harm Listen, the, the psalmist doesn't say God will eliminate the sun. God said, the psalmist simply says that the sun will not strike you because of his shade over you. That's what the psalmist promises. The promise of the psalm isn't that because God is your shade, you won't have any difficulties in your life. In fact, Jesus promises us in this life you will have what? tribulations you're going to have hardships on this side of heaven you're going to face an imperfect flawed life and that's going to bring all kinds of stuff your way the promise of god and god being your shade isn't that he protects you from difficulty the promise of god is that in the midst of your trials in the midst of your troubles that with god as your shade you're promised to come out on the other side unharmed that's what we call the refiner's fire. Some of us got to walk through the fire to be refined into the image of Jesus so that we could come out on the other side better for it. The promise of God of being your shade is that you won't face difficulty. The promise of God is you will face difficulty, but I will be your shade so the sun won't strike you and the moon won't strike you by night. Our Father is our shade. 
Our Father is our stability. Our Father is our shade. And then we come to the end of the psalm here, and we find that number three, our Father is our security. Our Father is our security. The passage ends here by saying, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I don't know if you noticed this as we read through this psalm, but the word keep showed up six different times in this short little psalm, in this short little passage. Three times in just these two verses we just read. What the psalmist wants you to know, folks, is that you have a God who keeps you. You have a God who holds you. You have a God who has you in the palm of his hands. Listen now, here's a principle that we got to grab hold of. Your security is most secure when you are kept by your keeper. A lot of us feel insecurities. The biggest battle that many of us face in our lives is feeling insecure. Maybe insecure about ourselves, maybe insecure about what's to come in the future, insecure about, you know, your past and the, and, the, and the baggage that you bring into different spheres of influence. You're insecure and all of these insecurities build up and build up. And let me just tell you, your security is most secure when you are kept by your keeper. When your Father in heaven, who is your keeper, the Lord will keep you, tells us the psalm. The Lord will keep you. Your security is most secure when you are kept by your keeper. I love that the psalm tells us that the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You know, for many of you, you're going through your four years here at Penn State University, and maybe for some of you transfer students, not quite four years, but you're asking some pretty significant life-altering questions right? I mean, you're asking things like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Oh, is this major that I'm majoring in even something that I care about? Is it something that I, I'm going to be pursuing post-graduation? I mean, what's my life calling? It's a big one. That's a big question I often get from students. What is, hey, Dan, can you help me process? Like, what is my life calling? Like, I don't know. You've got to ask the Father but I'll help you, but I I don't know. But but we're all asking that, right? Every single living, breathing human being, what is my life calling? Which career path am I to choose and walk down? You know, for you seniors who are graduating in a uh, a few short weeks, maybe for some of you, you're still processing through what your next steps are supposed to look like. Can I remind you of the promise of God's word? The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. If God brought you into Penn State, if God sustained you through your four years here, do you think that God's just gonna let go once you graduate? You see how absurd that sounds? And yet, for a lot of us, we feel the insecurity of our future as we peer into the future. I'm gonna be graduating soon and I don't know what my future is supposed to look like. The promise of God's word is the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. And what that means, church, is that your future, no matter what path you take, is secure. Can we just take a sigh of relief there for those of us who are anxious about our future, anxious about what's to come? Your future, no matter what path you take, no matter what journey you take, no matter how you ascend to God, your future is secure. 
It is absolutely secure because the Bible tells us God is the keeper of your life. Your father in heaven is your security, not your Penn State degree, not your GPA, not your major, not your job, not your career. None of that is your security. Our security is squarely set on our heavenly father and our father in heaven alone. He is our security. There's nothing else because all of life fails us fails us over and over and over again but you know who will never fail you your father in heaven because he tirelessly cares for you that's the providence of god over your life as followers of jesus as people who follow in the ways of god god says i will never give up, give up on you i will never when you graduate from here you better believe i've got i've got your i've got your life i'm holding on i ain't letting go I was faithful during your four years here. I'm going to be faithful for the next 40 years in your career. Now, let, let me just take this one step further. When you're making decisions in life, like big decisions, maybe your tendency is like mine and you need to run to the bathroom. You know what I'm talking about? Like you just got to like drop it like it's hot because it's just, you just, you're so anxious. You're so nervous, right? Like, some of you are like, oh man, like it's making me nervous. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you, get, you get unsettled, unsettled, so unsettled when you think about these big decisions and you become crippled by the fear. Listen now, you become crippled by the fear of making the wrong decision. Anyone with me? Or am I the only one? Like, like right? Like some of you are nodding along, right? You, you, you feel the weight of that because you're like, what if I make the wrong decision? Church, can I assure you of something? With God as your keeper, there is no mistake too large that your father can't redeem. Can I, you just need to let that sink in. I know for some of us, that, that's, that's, there's a thicker wall for some of us. That, that, that truth isn't going to sink in quite as easily, but that's got to sink in. With God as your keeper, there is no mistake too large. There's no misstep that you might take in your life that God cannot redeem. Listen, if God can empty out a tomb, he can surely redirect your life. If God can empty out the tomb of his son Jesus and resurrect Christ from the dead, and the Bible says that same power that resurrected Christ from the dead resides in you, if God can empty out a freaking tomb, you better believe he can re re redirect your life anytime he wants. Anytime. And so for those of us who are like me, you become crippled by the fear of making the wrong decision. I want you to remember, no course of action is irredeemable in God's economy. No course of action is irredeemable. And that's what it means to have our Father as our security. I don't know about you, but that just, that makes me like, oh man, it's just like I could sit back a little bit more comfortably. I could, I could rest in, in the providential care of my God. I, I can rest, one of, the, one of the joys of parenting is watching my kids trust me. Even in those moments when they don't fully understand me, they say, I trust you, Dad. And I think one of the things that brings the Father heart of God more joy than anything else is when we're not scurrying around anxiously, but we're saying, God, I trust in your tireless care over my life. And because you are my care, because you are my stability, because you are my shade by day and by night, because you are my security, no matter what comes my way, I can rest in your providence. I can rest in the providential care 
of God. And that's how I want to end our time this morning. I want to end our time just leaning back into our chairs just a little deeper and maybe breathing a little bit deeper and saying, it's going to be okay. Because my father tirelessly, tirelessly, he won't grow tired of caring for me. It's not like he hits a cap. Like I, sometimes confession, moment of confession, I hit a cap with my kids. I'm like, yeah, I'm done with you guys. I just, you need to go away. Like, it's just, you're bothering me. You're more of a pain than a blessing right now. And I love you, but I need my space. God said, the Lord is your everlasting God. He will not grow tired or weary. People fall. Young men stumble and fall. Youth grow tired or weary. People grow tired or weary. But your father in heaven? Never. His care for you is tireless. It's endless. It's everlasting. And this morning, I just want to receive the care of God over our lives. Can we do that?